0: That's one small step for man. One for
1: Columbia, Columbia. And we're back. This is TKW Draft Season, presented by the Knicks Wall Podcast and Blue Wire Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Cortez. Co-hosting with me today is TKW's own Harley Geffner. And today we have a very special guest, the co-founder of The Stepien. I hope I didn't butcher that name. Cole Zwicker. Cole, thank you for joining us. How are you doing?
2: Thanks for having me. Doing well, and you did not butcher the name. I think that puts you in like elite company there.
1: (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Off to a flying start.
0: Okay, cool. So I have one burning question for you to start off. Uh, why do agents let their guys go up against Charles Matthews?
2: <laughs> well, if you find out the answer, let me know. Uh, that's <laughs> one of the no-fly zones of this draft. There's, about, there's a handful of guys you just don't want your guys working out with every year. Last year, it was Javon Carter out of West Virginia. It's just you got to avoid these guys.
0: <laughs> so to start out, though, uh, can you just list off your top five? I know it's like actually a hard question, but like top five, ten on the board, maybe?
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I have right now, my first tier, of course, is Zion Williamson. That's pretty standard. And then my second tier, I have four guys in that tier. I have John Morant, Brandon Clark, Jarrett Culver, and R.J. Barrett. And then my third tier, I'm kind of still going around with this right now, but I think right now it's going to be permanently Goja Batazzi the European big, Grant Williams, Cam Redis, DeAndre Hunter, and P.J. Washington. So I might add a couple guys to that. I'm a little bit lower on guys like Darius Garland. He might jump into that tier at 11, depending on... I think if he goes to LA, he's more valuable. But uh, yeah, that's my right now my temporary top 10 that I think will be my top 10 come draft time.
0: I was saying, I feel like everyone's saying this is a, a top-heavy draft, and I'm not exactly sure that's the perception that other NBA teams are having, because I, I see so much stuff about people saying you know, it's really a top, it's a one tier draft. And then there's the second tier that a lot of people fit into.
2: Yeah, that's my opinion. I mean, it depends on how you define it. Are you defining the strength through pick 10 through the lottery? Is that how you define a a strength in a class? So I think it's deep. Honestly, if you get to like the end of round one, round two, I think even some undrafted guys. So it all depends on what the conception is of how people define it. I, I do think pretty standardized it's not as strong in the tier two guys like last year i thought you know jaron jackson would have been in a different tier than these guys in my opinion same with trey young so it's lacking in that tier two strength but as far as like top end talent you know you have zion williamson generational talent that's already there i think it's a little bit weaker through the first half of the lottery but when you get into the late first round early second i actually think there's some value plays
1: yeah, you mentioned Goga as one higher up than I've seen most. What about him appeals to you that you think it will translate right away?
2: I think he's pretty safe, honestly. Like, he's... He's improved a ton. If you watch him last year, you watch his body improvement over the course of a year. He's really young at 18. His offensive skills, I think, just really bode well and they translate well to the modern game. Someone who's a pick and roll big, sets pretty good screens, can pick and pop. He's really improved his shooting ability. I think his handling ability his coordination's underrated. He can make some passes on the move. He's just not an explosive athlete, but he can do pretty much everything else. He's more of a drop big, though, in pick and roll. Like He can come out a little bit. I'm still not really sold on his balance, especially in space. Like He does get beat, especially changing directions north south but i do think he can play drop pick and roll coverage for the most part he's very good at angles and like recovering to his man there so i think in the regular season he has some value and i think like if i were to bet on like six or seven guys who are safest to be nba players and be quality starters he would be in that group i just don't think he's special as far as having that elite level upside for a big and that's kind of why i dock him a little bit just based on positional value and the fact i don't see anything special about him that would really translate especially to the highest levels of play
0: yeah, I saw him cut a lot of pud- Like I saw a picture of him comparing him to from last year, and he had cut so much pudge.
2: Oh, yeah. He's definitely trimmed down. He's he's a worker, and I think he's really improved, too. Like he's, He showed a jump shot this year. We saw the DX videos, of course, in the workouts and you know shooting off movement a little bit. So I really think he's on the upward ascension here. So th- there's some reason to invest, and I, I, de- I definitely think he's a lottery pick. Some mock drafts, you see him outside of the lottery. I think that's a mistake.
1: Yeah, I've seen him as low as—and I'm looking at Tankathon right now just to get a— I I see him at 22, but I've also seen him as high as eight. So he's kind of like where Bobo was initially, where Bobo was like projected top-end lottery all the way down to the bottom.
2: Yeah, and and now Bobo's even more extreme than that. We have no idea what to do with him. He might might go... 14, 15, he might go 35, 40. That's a very wide range. But yeah, I think he's kind of, Goje is now what Bobo was before. Not in terms of a player. They're very different. But right. as far as like expected value. But I do expect that to narrow down a little bit before draft time. Maybe between like 10 and 20 is his range.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. All right, so one of the biggest debates going on amongst Knicks fans for in particular is RJ versus Culver. Who would you take if, assuming that you're getting Kevin Durant And Kyrie Irving, or maybe Van Anthony Davis. Who do you see fitting better long term?
2: If we're drafting for fit and to fit next to these guys, I think I would lean Culver just because he is wired to play that way. He's wired to be a secondary, very unselfish player, can dribble pass and shoot, make high level decisions. I don't think he's going to have a problem fitting around stars like that. And I love his defense. I think his defense is what separates him from RJ. He's a lot better on the ball, he's much better, much better off the ball. So I think he surrounds stars better if he can catch and shoot. I think both of them are pretty similar as far as catch and shoot prospects from three maybe rj's a little bit better just because his mechanics are more consistent it's tough though with the knicks just because again they're a destination market so if you're getting anthony davis you might have to deal with this pick um i like drafting rj for the knicks too i think there's a very solid angle for it just because in the future you might have to make another another trade for another star or whatnot and i think rj probably has more trade value whereas culver you're relying on the fit and like him developing a shot but i don't think he's going to have the same you know allure in a trade that an rj barrett will
1: I know early on people have had their questions about defense. Do you think RJ can play as a lead guard to start out where he could use his size more, or do you think he could survive on the wing from the jump?
2: Are we talking about defensively or offensively?
1: Defensively first.
2: Yeah, I think he can. He's not the quickest guy on the ball, but he is very physical. He can get into your body as far as using his frame. That's probably his best aspect. He's definitely better on the ball than off. So maybe you can utilize him that way. He's not ultra quick twitch. It just comes down to does he have the mentality to really play that way at the point of attack, really pressure ball handlers. Didn't show a lot of that at Duke, but I think if you put him in a specific role, he'd be willing to do it. I'm not sure if he's quick enough as far as his feet, foot speed goes, but you, you could try it. I mean, it's on the wing, I, it gets a little more dicey, but maybe you, he's the highest guy I don't know but if you had him exert energy I feel like he could be a better defender than we we saw at lower levels
0: it's like the and Knicks of for- a lot of hide guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's true
1: now for offense I know like there's even like when he had his triple double against NC State there were just some plays where he had a guy in the corner wide open and he still took on three guys in the paint do you think do you trust him enough if you're a team drafting him to be a lead guard for certain time like for stretches?
2: I would definitely utilize him for stretches. I think he can do that. I I don't trust him for certain, though. He does have pick-and-roll playmaking, though. He has vision. He can hit the skip pass. He's a better passer than some of the lead guards or the perceived lead guards in this class, mainly Darius Garland and Kobe White. Like, RJ's a better passer than both of them. Like, he can make reads and and pick-and-roll. He can hit the dive man. He can hit the skip in the the weak side corner. Not as good passing with his right to the right-hand corner, but I think he even shows some overhead ability there. So it just comes down to mentality, like you said. I, I think we've seen that play out at duke like when he's willing to pass he can really make reads and he can really get guys involved but his drive and kick vision is something that i just don't trust um it's not consistent i have made this problem in the past with prospects and he's not the most willing kickout passer and that's something that i i don't really have a good answer to we'll, we'll see how it, it it comes in traffic if he's willing to, you know, kick it out to corner three-point shooters or kick it out to the wing instead of taking these contested floaters with three guys in the proximity. So that's one of his biggest swing skills is his ability to really play unselfish basketball and, and make driving kick reads.
0: Yeah, so in your, uh, I know you wrote a Darius Garland piece recently where you were talking about sort of how to project somebody as being able to make high-level reads. Um, before we get into Garland, where do you see that in Culver, too? Or, like, a, or what indicators do you look for that you see in either RJ, Culver, or Garland that you like and don't like about making strong level reads or high level reads?
2: I think for me, it all comes down to the decision being made. I, I like to look at basketball as a game of decisions and look at what you're seeing on the floor and how you adapt to that. Sometimes passing is not the right move. Maybe you're supposed to drive. You had the layup, take the layup. So it's about making the right play. And I think Culver does that better than almost anybody in this draft. Frankly, he's, he's very good at that. He gets pressed sometimes just because of his role at Texas tech was very, he had to create, he was their only guy. Like they had good players like Moretti Mooney, but those guys weren't individual self-creators. So I think at times he got pressed, had to take pull-ups, when he got pressed up on, but I do think that he reads the floor extremely well. I like to look at skip pass reads specifically because you, you can see you know, the weak side corner. You got to be able to holistically see the floor. So you see a lot of guys who make the drop-offs on the move to the big and the dunker spot and a two-on-one, or you just hit a, an immediate over the top to the diving big. I don't think those require a ton of court vision and anticipation. So I, I like to look at anticipatory reads as far as skip passes and then how you improv on the move. Can you make passes on the move to a cutter or whatnot. So I do think that for me, Culver blends those two elements of like passing anticipation and it's decision-making better, a little bit better than RJ. I think again, RJ is more of a willingness thing. He can see some of the same things as Culver, but not as willing to make the pass. And then Garland and Kobe white, those guys are just a little bit farther behind as far as being able to really execute the skip pass read. I think they're mostly centralized around hitting the dive man and their, their vision is a little bit more um, centralized around that.
0: I wonder if that lack of strong reads or making those skip passes would bother you less or should bother you less because it was such a small sample size with Garland. Like, I wonder if he would have made more of those high-level reads if he was able to, like, see more college defenses in Vanderbilt and get all the way through the season.
2: It's definitely a fair point. Um, it's just something that tracks historically. I saw him at the hoop summit and there was the same issues as far as in pick and roll. He wouldn't hit those skip pass reads either. That was a problem with him even in high school. Like he's never been a high level passer, but I do agree with you that it, with a bigger sample with more exposure and, and more time to acclimate, he might've gotten better at that. We saw it in transition. Like he had this one really nice hook pass and transition across the court. We, we just haven't seen it in the half court ever. So mm-hmm. maybe it happens. Maybe he develops. He's really smart, great intangibles. That's going to be something that teams have to really unearth is just how intelligent he is at making reads and maybe simulate some some possessions and say what's the right read in this play and and stuff like that teams are pretty good about that in the pre-drive process but i I just have to go on what we've seen so far and we haven't really seen that from him
1: i was happy that you pointed out what garland I got a little highlight drunk with garland where everything i saw was like oh this guy's amazing and then i started to realize all right he's not making as many high level passes as you want especially for the knicks who the only other point guard on the roster right now, hopefully, is just Dennis Smith. I really hope Emmanuel Moody is not there. So I do think Garland would be better with Lonzo, someone like Lonzo. What about Kobe White? I've seen his name a little higher. i would not really high on him at all. So is do you know why or do you have anything to say that he's a top 10 pick?
2: I mean, I don't personally believe that, but I understand the allure because it, when it comes to the draft, ball handlers get pushed up almost every year because you want self-creation teams want guys who can make a play they want guys who can ideally dribble pass and shoot initiate your offense i think kobe improved his year at unc got more familiar with running the offense a lot in transition though he's excellent in transition as far as pushing the ball he's very comfortable there as far as making decisions in in that setting i'm more concerned about again kind of the garland issue half court ability he's Kobe can split pick and rolls, his handle's a little bit high because he has kind of a longer torso, shorter arms. It looks kind of awkward, but I actually think that he's okay splitting because he can really get low with the ball. I'm more concerned with can he really anticipate defensive coverages? He hasn't been a point guard in the past, and that's kind of the trend with these two guys, is they've they grew up more as off guards, scoring types. So they can shoot off the dribble pretty well, and they have probably that gravity going moving forward, especially Garland. But with White, his shot's a little bit more versatile in the mid-range, so I think he's more a little bit more of a three level score just because he can get a shot off but as far as the passing goes it's just rudimentary right now and I think teams are drafting him as a lead guard in the top 10 he's probably going to go top 7 frankly and it just doesn't align with what we've seen so far You're, you're basically betting on him continuing to improve at a rate that is higher than most point guards because, I, like, a guy like Trey Young, of course, comes into the league and he's already, like, I mean, he's not really a fair comparison because he's one of the best pure point guards in the last, you know, decade. But you have to bet on Kobe White making those strides as far as how to read a defense. And it,
3: right now, it's just not there. Quick break to talk about ship station. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, or your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. And right now, listeners to the Next Wall Podcast and any Blue Wire Podcast can try ShipStation for free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, and even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in BLUE. That's Chipstation.com, then enter promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen.
0: I'm worried about both of their defenses, too. I mean, does watching playoff basketball change how we project players who are likely defensive minuses?
2: It does for me because it just it doesn't mean that I'm not going to draft these guys, but it just means that they have to get it back on offense. You, you look at the smaller players in the league, even Stephen Curry, how often they're targeted. and You just have to be so good on the other end to get it back. And that's something that concerns me a little bit because those guys are typically playmakers who you get the initiation value as well as far as creating for others and yourself. So these guys are more I think right now they're creating for themselves. They're shooters but they're, they're not going to guard at a high level. And are they good enough playmakers if they have the ball? If, if their team's relying on them to create offense for the team as well, I, I think that's a little bit of a tougher sell. But I think you're absolutely right. You have to look at playoff trends and say, you know, these smaller guys, I don't care if you're 6'3 and you're a good college defender or you're Kobe White and you're 6'4 and a half. Uh, you have a slight frame. I think you're going to get run through in space. Like These guys are going to be liabilities at some level. It's just can you get it back on the other end? I think that's where the analysis has to be.
0: I've heard a lot of stuff about people saying that this is not the year to take a lead guard because of next year's class. Um, Do you buy that?
2: I do. I do. Because I think, you know, we we don't know right now how high level these guys are going to be as far as, you know, Cole Anthony, for example, can he develop his playmaking for others? Nico Mannion, you know, incredibly skilled next year. And there's of course international guys, but I think there's credence to it because there's going to be so many selections. There's going to be I, th- I think Mike Gribanoff tweeted there's something like fifteen lead guards potentially in the first round or combo guards ask maybe guys who can initiate your offense but guards so there's a much vaster um, selection to choose from and I think you have to factor it into an extent just because there's going to be so many options so this year why would you take a risk especially risk reward like you're drafting Kobe White and Darius Garland probably in the top seven picks that's a lot of risk I mean if you're t- if you're taking them 14 15 that lessens a little bit so I, I think when you weigh the w- risk factors and you're not sure about these guys if they're actually point guards it kind of does make sense to wait a year maybe address another position because that's not the strength of this class anyway
1: yeah, and I know I know John Morant might actually fall now because he has and I think some some type of procedure. So if you're the Knicks, for example, would you look more towards to trade that pick to a Phoenix who may not want to take Kobe White but may feel pigeonholed into taking one? And who in the 2020 class you think sticks out as a lead guard to tank for, so to speak?
2: Yeah, so I think still Jaws is going to go too. I don't think people are going to view this injury as like damning, for example. um, it, It's more going to be just uh, maybe a, an issue that gets Memphis to bring R.J. Barrett into the building. But I, I do think he's still going to go too. But I've said throughout this, this whole interval of the draft that I would look to trade down if I'm not number one. I think that's the move mm-hmm. because we have guys in upcoming classes. I'm not even sure about 2020 as far as the top end talent yet. I think that's going to... Over time, we'll, we'll kind of see where that goes. 2021 is, is, looks incredible at the top. You know, with Cade cutting him, he looks like, you know, a wing initiator, one of like the move pieces, really. And I, I don't want to say if I'm saying. I'm not sure if I'm saying this right, but Usman Garuba, as far as international player, looks like he's gotten compared to Draymond Green. He's, he's incredible. I've watched him defensively. He's one of the highest level defensive prospects. We're talking maybe, you know, in the same Galaxy is Jaron Jackson, maybe a little bit better than that. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to look forward and really say, like if you're the Grizzlies, for example, they don't really have control of their own pick. Like next year, it's top six protected. Then he goes unprotected in 2021. If I was them, I would look to move down and see if I could get my pick back somehow with Boston. So <laughs> I, th- I think that's how I would look at it. I still think Morant goes too, but I've said throughout, like I think you should trade, you should look to trade down or trade out and get better value for these you know, picks two through five because it's not like last year where, every, where you draft, um, I mean, of course, I thought Lucas should have gone number one, but everywhere you drive in the top five, I think you're getting a pretty good value last year, whereas this year, I don't think so.
1: That's interesting because uh, lately the Knicks are kicking the tires on possibly trading for eight ten with Atlanta. Who at the end of the lottery do you think? I know Brandon Clark sticks out, but is there anyone else that you see that could have real value at that bottom end of the top 10?
2: I think a guy like PJ Washington, not a t- I don't think he has the same upside as Brennan Clark. I have Clark in a, in a higher tier, but I think PJ is just really solid. Uh, you know, he can hit the three. He's really improved his catch and shoot three-point ability. Uh, he improved his body a ton. Like he's, you can just see he's put in the work from year one to year two at Kentucky. And his defense is good enough. He's got those seven, three wingspan. He moves especially well in straight lines. He's very good in recovery situations. Not as good laterally, I think, containing the ball, but really high level passer. And that's something that, this class is very strong in as far as it's hybrid bigs and it's like traditional bigs most of them are very good passers so pj grant williams brandon clark's underrated jonte porter chuma okiki you can go down the list there but i do think pj is not really sexy as far as his upside but as far as being a starter i think he fits into a lot of teams just cuz he can kind of play that stretch four role but he can also defend a little bit
0: um talking about sexy upside i feel like recently that i had been underrating KPJ and bowl because I, I was watching some bowl footage and I was thinking am I underrating how fluid he is for how big he is is this such an elite trait that maybe he turns into some you know two percent chance that he turns into one of the top 10 players in the league and with KPJ just watching his workout videos I know it's obviously open you know open gym season um, but he really has the look of a star I mean to me his we- it's weird because I feel like his outcome is either you know james James Young or like a star in this league so i i was one I was feeling like I've been underrating this like super high upside from guys like that around the eight ten pick,
2: yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I definitely get the allure with bull as far as the the physical tools, the length, and you combine that with elite level touch we're talking like generational touch for a big man. And he already has translated it to NBA three. Like he can shoot NBA threes off the catch easily, even with the lower release point, I think in pick and pops, if he played the Brook Lopez role, for example, he could be a volume three point shooter. And we see how valuable that is to an offense. I just can't get there with this defense. I, I can't get there with the effort level. I think that his build, as far as high center of gravity, he weighs like 208 pounds at seven, three. It's just, those guys aren't really made to play basketball for a long period of time. It's physically, it's just really hard to hold up. I think Knicks fans, know how that is with Chris Stapps. And we're talking about a more extreme case here. So that's where my drawbacks are, but I get the upside as far as conceptually, he's got a handle too. He can hit you with like an in and out dribble and then pull up off the dribble. There's a lot of flash to his game. I'm a little more concerned if there's a lot of substance to his game, especially defensively. I don't think he can play in space. I think he's going to get ducked in on. Can he guard like a Steven Adams? I think that he would just get destroyed in that situation. Mm-hmm. Kevin Porter, I, I definitely get the, the allure there too. Probably the best one-on-one shot maker, shot creator in this class as far as shake goes incredible agility his handle he's got so many NBA dribble moves already I watched him at the hoop summit two years ago and he was the best player on the floor you know on a roster that had all of the 2008 guys or 2018 guys so like Jaron Jackson those guys and he was the best player on the floor in that scrimmage just because you could see the one-on-one creation but I'm more concerned with how Kevin Porter fits into a five on five game. And we just haven't seen a lot of high leverage situations for him as far as pick and roll. Can he read a defense? Uh, He, all he did last year really was take step backs off the dribble. He had open driving lanes and he would just take these one, two dribble step back threes. And what do you really do with that? You know, he doesn't maximize his athleticism. It's not that functional on offense defensively. He's actually better on defense right now than he is on offense, in my opinion, which is kind of weird to say, but his athleticism in space is pretty obvious as far as containing the ball good playmaker off the ball i just don't know what his mentality is going to be like to me he looks more like a six-man scorer on a good team just because i think he can get buckets eventually we don't even know really if he can shoot that well his his shot is very awkward he's got a really low release point and weird arm angle as far as how he brings up the ball with a shot line so there's a lot of questions that has to be addressed but if you watch the highlights of him and you watch like a two-minute stint you're gonna see a lot of the intrigue i mean you're pretty Mm. much getting that upside and i think that can be mischaracterized sometimes
0: Yeah. Um, So now moving on to one of my favorite prospects in the draft, uh, Brandon Clark. Um, I just wrote a big piece on him. Um, But why do you think he's so low on so many people's draft boards? And like, do you think his stock will continue to rise with these draft workouts with teams? And will he become maybe not a safe bet to be available at eight as he continues to impress, which I assume he will continue to do?
2: Well, first of all, I enjoyed your piece. I just read it. Um, it, it was very apt, and it was. I was actually going to write a piece on him and include. I included several of the clips you did, so I decided not to. But um, uh, as far as going high in the draft, I don't think so. I don't think he's going to move his way up to, like, eight, for example. I just think that the lack of comparative point for him, there's nobody in the league you really look at and say, this is what Brandon Clark is. He has basically Clay Thompson's measurables from, like, a physical standpoint as far as reach with the eight, six, standing reach, you know, six, eight and a half, wingspan at six, eight. Like, that's going to turn some teams off because, like, what position does he play? And that's how teams are going to think about it because he weighs 207 pounds, like, or 209 pounds, whatever it is. And we thought he was more 225 with a 610 wingspan. So I think that's really going to impact his stock a little bit with teams. Maybe not, it's not going to be like the ultimate. You know, slight to him. He's not going to go in the twenties because of it, I don't think. But I I do think it's going to knock him down teams' boards because what's the point of comparison for him? Can he shoot the ball? This is a guy who had like a grenade launcher shot (laughs) his freshman year at San Jose State and his sophomore year. Like he he shot the ball completely from his side, like a slingshot. It was worst shooting mechanics I've literally ever seen on a basketball player. (laughs) So pretty funny. it was ridiculous and then we saw him improve that i mean he's improved that every step of the way and gonzaga you know he brought his release point up now we see him in workouts he's shooting more of like a one motion lower release to get that i think probably better distance on his shot so it looks more like sean marion but uh i think he's the he's the classic guy of someone who's undervalued because he's so unique. He's someone you can't really draw a point of reference to in the NBA, but his defensive instincts are incredible. He's an amazing athlete. He's a world-class athlete. He's the second best functional athlete in this class, especially defensively, but we see defense all the time. It gets, it gets slighted in the draft. I mean, teams at the top of the draft, they're looking for creators, looking for offense. So I don't think a team wants to settle for like a 22 year old defensive prospect who might shoot, even though there's a lot more to his game. Like I think he's got elite level touch. He's he's actually very coordinated attacking the rim. He can dribble a little bit. He's a good passer. He's just a really smart player. So again, I have him top five, but I would say he starts getting on the board as far as actually threatening to go off the board, probably at pick ten of the Hawks as his most optimistic outcome, and then I think he goes somewhere in the either there or the late teens so i don't think he falls that far but i don't think he's gonna go necessarily where he should as far as value wise
1: Mm -hmm. which is a shame as a basketball fan i really hope he goes to the hawks because i think him and trey would be great um somebody else that's projected to the hawks or just gets like a polar opposite of clark where they're just enamored with his potential is cam reddish on defense i see it but on offense i don't really like he had the shot attempts he just didn't do much with it is there something i'm missing there
2: no, I'm right I'm right there with you as far as I think his defense is underrated and his offense is overrated. I think he's an overrated athlete, especially vertically. His finishing everybody knows the two point percentage number by now. That's very widespread. Yeah. But just how his lack of explosion is just kind of glaring for someone who came into this draft and came into this year as People thought this guy was the next McGrady. It was insane at the time, by the way, but they really <laughs> did think that. And like, he's just not that explosive of an athlete. He doesn't have that kind of burst. He doesn't separate like that. But I, I, I understand the allure just because when you watch him shoot in an open gym and you watch him shoot, even in some of the flash plays last year off the dribble, like he'll one, two dribble, step back you off a jab, and he'll just create a ton of separation and then he'll knock those shots down. And you look at a six nine wing and you're like, okay, that guy should be like a top three talent in the class. But it just never translated consistently last year at Duke. And I think I'm not one to pardon these guys completely. Like you you see a lot of draft analysts that'll say, you know, the spacing's not good. Well, the space is not really good anywhere in college basketball. It's college basketball. Like there's no way that there's a team, except for like maybe Virginia Tech who plays five out and guys can, you know, dribble pass and shoot off that. But for the most part, guys are facing those kinds of like lanes that are stacked up. And I I think you have to analyze the sample that you have. And I think Cam Reddish, like last year, he was in a really cushy situation. I mean, he had a ton of catching shoot threes he was playing off of maybe the two guys in college basketball with the most self creation gravity and zion and rj and he didn't excel in that in that role offensively and i think you can look at all of the things he didn't do well and you can hold them against him a little bit and say like it's not just space it's like this guy's not a great athlete he, he doesn't have a great handle he lo- he has a loose handle he lo- lost the ball a ton in creation situations he makes bad decisions he's uh his decision making is pretty abhorrent as far as attacking closeouts had a ton of charges we didn't see like the agility at the rim but I, I do think where his value is is defense. I think off-ball defense, he's actually pretty damn good for a freshman wing. Good, good length in the passing lanes. Good anticipation. On-ball, he's not a crazy lateral athlete. He's good enough, I think, but he's not locked down. You're maybe hoping for someone like Robert Covington with like not non-elite instincts. That's more of like what he is defensively, which is valuable, right? But it's just like can he knock down volume threes? I like him more to a situation like the Lakers at four or the Hawks at eight, someone that has a point guard or like a primary creator in place so that can get him volume three looks. I'm a little scared that he's going to go to a team that utilizes him as like a creator type or like a point guard.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm super low on Reddish too. I don't think I've ever seen a prospect with as li- this highly ranked with as little wiggle as he has. Um, just constantly barreling people over really cannot, is not shifty whatsoever. Um, but sorry, I just want to get back to Clark for a second because I know you're talking about how it's kind of hard to envision his league in the role his role in the league because of there not being really readily available comps um how exactly do you see at least on offense on defense is pretty obvious but uh, on offense how do you think his skill set is going to play out on the next level like will he still be getting dump offs into the post and asked to like create little little runners or little flip shots or will he just or out of the gate will he just be a rim runner who takes some spot ups or maybe something completely unique
2: Yeah, it's a great question. I think some of that depends on situation. Like if he goes to the Hawks, like I think a lot of us are hoping for, like he'll play in that double high set where they run a a lot of double high pick and roll with Trey and maybe he plays next to John Collins and John Collins pops and and Clark dives to the rim. So you might see him as a lob catcher in that situation. If he goes to a team like the Timberwolves, you know, they run a lot of post isos for Carl Anthony Towns. He might be in the dunker spot right away and be a lob catcher and then maybe in time he pushes that range to the corner three and you see him play around Towns that way. So I do think you really have to get on transition because that's where he's excellent. As far as he can grab and go, he can also finish on the break. I think you have to play that way just to get him easier opportunities initially, but in, in time we'll kind of see where he goes. I, I would bet on him at least for most teams starting in the dunker spot and kind of as a lob catcher there, uh, maybe from the elbows a little bit, as far as running dribble handoffs. I think he's capable of that, even though he doesn't have the biggest Uh, frame as a screener it just kind of depends in time ideally you're looking for him to push him to the corner three level and then play him a little bit as the play finisher role so that's going to require you know another stretch big maybe he can operate in as the screener at times when you have a guy like Towns spacing the floor. So that's the ideal fit for me. I'm looking more towards how he fits with a big. I know a lot of guys want him with a point guard. I get the the pluses of that. So like Trey Young would optimize him. But long-term, I think I want him next to a guy like Towns who's already shown the ability to carry a high-level a, like a high offense. So Clark can kind of just blend in and then, of course, bring that defensive value. Yeah,
0: um, I love him. I, and I was wondering, too, about his... His fit with Mitch, though, is 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 kind of a, a stopper for a lot of Knicks fans. Because I mean, I'm so high on him, but like, if it comes to that, like one of them is gonna need to learn how to shoot for sure.
2: Yeah, you have to bet on Clark in that situation. I don't yeah. have a ton of confidence yeah, yeah. in Mitch there. So I mean, I would do it just because your level of defense would be incredible. As far as like, translating to playing against better teams like Mitch is mobile enough. I-, I think that would be awesome. But you really have to go all in on on Clark shooting even a corner three. I think that would work in time. But of course, like he- Clark's never going to go in the top three. That would be a trade down situation.
0: Yeah, I mean I was fantasizing earlier on a different pod about this like super defense first uh foundation the Knicks could build if I mean I know they probably wouldn't take him at ten, but if they traded down to eight and ten and then took uh Clark and Thighbull, I was just thinking, you know, having those three guys <laughs> in your lineup and then maybe Kate you know, at least one off huge offensive facilitator like KD or something who can hopefully maximize those other guys. Um, but yeah, that was just fantasy. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you definitely need Kyrie and Katie, I think, in that case, if you're dealing with us. But uh, yeah, it's a great thought.
3: (laughs) Hey, listeners, we have a quick announcement to make. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash blue wire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, the Rick Lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. get all of that for just three dollars shipped right to your door enough with the cheap razors it's totally worth trying harry's harry's is fixed shaving by combining a simple clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned, so harry's bought a world-class blade factory in germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years join the 10 million who have tried harry's claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com blue wire all of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, go to harrys.com slash blue to redeem your razor for
1: $3. Now, now that you mentioned Thibault Harley, I wanted to get into the late first round, like the twenties, because there's talk that Frank might get traded for me. If they're trading Frank, who I think is the team's best defender, you need somebody at the same level or a little advanced. So, In addition to Thibel, is there any other guys, I know Charles Matthews is another name, but any other guys towards the end of the first round or early second that you can see getting a good return for Frank?
2: Yeah, that's really interesting. I, if you're going defense, again, I like Thiable. I like Matthews. Like you said, those are two of probably the four or five best perimeter defenders in the class. I think Daquan Jeffries, that's a little high for him out of Tulsa, 6'5, you know, 6'11, seven foot wingspan. Very, he plays basketball like a football player. He's very physical. I, I don't think he goes quite that high. I think in that range, it's going to be really fascinating. You might get a Nick Claxton as a big. I like him as a value player. but of course, for the Knicks, that's probably not as high on the pecking order. So, There's going to be value in that in that area. Like Chuma Okiki could fall, and I really like him. I have him as like a a borderline lottery pick. Um, Of course, he's injured right now out of Auburn, but he's more of like a combo forward type. But I think they could, the Knicks could use somebody like that. Even though they already have Kevin Knox, I, I would say his level of team defense, Okiki, is elite in this class. It's probably top three or four. Like he's very, very great off the ball as far as utilizing his length as like a six, eight guy makes great rotations. So I would look at him in that range and I have no idea what Neil Keene is going to return. That's really a fascinating question. We've kind of heard maybe late first, I don't know, early second, maybe a future first round pick, but uh, there's definitely some intriguing players in this draft around that range.
0: Yeah. I saw, I mean, the Spurs have the 29th pick and, and Frank seems like such a Spurs guy to me. I mean, they also have what, yeah. the, the 49th too. So I, it's possible that they say, you know, They'll offer up the 49th or nothing, but I was thinking I was hoping we might be able to get into that twenty-nine range into into that range if um if they were interested in trading him, which it seems like they are. Um but I, I wanna talk on Claxton real quick. Um I saw I mean, he's great at defending in space, but is he too weak, I mean, to have any immediate return? Like especially if you're looking for players to fit around superstar. I mean, I feel like we kinda have to discuss everything on two timelines here. Like the <laughs> the Knicks get, you know, KD and Kyrie or AD or whatever it is and then you know or whether these are good foundational pieces to build upon um but Claxton doesn't psych me as a guy who can really give us any immediate return if we we're looking to get guys who are complementary pieces to uh, maybe a contender
2: yeah I think that's exactly right He's more of a developmental guy for me. He's just one of the few guys in that range that I see as actually I'm willing to invest in him long term because I think the upside is there as far as especially in the playoffs. But he's not helping you right away. He's got to get physically stronger. He's got to work on his shot. There's a lot of elements to his game, and I think he's always going to be on the weaker end. I don't think he's going to develop into this you know, crazy big frame as far as strength goes and like functional strength. But he, he's worth, I think he's worth a multi year investment. But I don't know if the Knicks are the right team for that. I think he's got to go to a team that, like, again, like the Spurs would be great for him. Just a guy who's going to play a lot in the G League and really work his way up. I think that's where he has to go. I, I don't really like him on any timeline where he has to contribute right away.
0: Yeah. Uh, options at 55. I mean, I know that's where a lot of the projects are. Um, but the Knicks have the 55th pick right now. There's been some rumors about Taco Fall. Um, can you see an all seven foot lineup of KD, Cornette, Anthony Davis, Mitch, and Taco Fall?
2: Maybe in like <laughs> a video game in like two thousand three <laughs> or something. But that's uh, yeah, yeah not yeah. really. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not really going in on Fall as far as being a draftable player. I, I know some people are, and he's moved into that discussion on that range. Just because I think when you see him in person, it. Just takes you aback, basically. I never have. I didn't go to the combine, but everybody that, that was there just said that it was ridiculous. Like, he kind of erased Namias Keda from Utah State, who's got incredible measurables, and he looked small compared to Taco Fall, even even on the screen. So, I get, I get it in theory as, like, this kind of Boban clone, but I don't invest in backup bigs who can't play in the playoffs. So, that's not really my cup of tea. Yeah, no.
1: I was thinking about was Jonte Porter. I, I've seen him as high as 10, but now he's starting to go mostly in the second round. So I know he had a couple ACL tears in the same knee. Do you, does that, is that a red flag for you? Or do you, would you still take a risk at him that say 55 or even sooner if they were able to get another second round pick?
2: Oh, 100% at 55. I have him much higher on my board. I'm probably going to end up with him in the top 20, frankly. I, I think that he's just that good, especially if you watch his tape back compared to the freshman class this year. He's just way smarter. His decision-making is way faster. He's really skilled. He can shoot the above-the-break three. He can put the ball on the floor. Probably the best passer for a freshman big that I've seen um and, and sometime it's incredible the way he can like see the entire floor skip passes on the move you know high low passes he, he does it all and i think he's a little bit underrated as far as his agility goes not not a great athlete laterally and definitely not a good athlete vertically but he's really smart great team defender and he lost a lot of weight i think that was really promising in the combine he checked in i think it i want to say he was like 220 or something maybe before he was you know high per- body fat percentage last year he didn't look like he really was that invested in the draft and of course after incurring that injury he lost a lot of weight so i think that was a little bit promising as far as i think he's working out i think he's trying to get in better shape and we've seen a lot of guys in the drafts like draymond dream draymond green nicole Jokic. i'm not saying he's on this level of course but guys who are out of shape when they got drafted and they got in better shape and that actually returned some value so i think you have to look at that with john Tate. i think at 55 he's an absolute no-brainer
0: mm-hmm. uh do you think the vegan diet has cursed the family because <laughs> i know that i know the, the two sisters too had uh, had, had career ending knee problems.
2: I yeah, I think actually Sam Mussini tweeted this a while back, and like there was this. That's actually a thought that like this is kind of hereditary almost. Like it's almost in in the family with this kind of injuries and stuff. I I, I don't want to misquote it as far as the specific. Um, special article i think there was an actual article written about this but yeah it, it's a cause for concern like they're gonna have to have the Knicks or whoever drafts him or is trying to draft him is gonna have to have like strong medical support from their medical staff it's not something to be taken lightly especially with you know michael porter we we don't know how soon he's gonna come back he just had some setbacks so that's i, I think it's definitely an issue yeah
1: you have that drop foot i don't know that that sounds terrible it
2: does
0: um, what about Nas Reed? Because I'm watching him at LSU, he reminded me a lot of like Montrez Harrell in that they have the same sort of like I don't know monstrous qualities about them. If that makes sense, just like. Um, but he also he also is a he shot like what 34 percent from three this year. Um, I know he has mobility questions, but I like him as the type of guy who I think could really maybe even a good like second contract player. I don't know about drafting, but um, someone maybe to target in the you know somewhere in the second round.
2: He's incredibly strong, like Harold. as far as like physically he can move guys that are, you know, even, you know, plus college defenders. We, we've seen that in in other bigs. I, I think with him, I don't know what the upside is because he's skilled. I don't know how functional the skill level is. Like he, I loved his handle at lower levels. I like when he can in and out dribble you. He's got incredible coordination with the ball, but his decision making is really poor. He's got vision but he, he doesn't often make the right read. I, I, there's just a lot of limitations with him. I and mean, he's such a limited vertical athlete. So when you talk about him as a rim protector, you talk about him in space. I don't know if he's ever going to get to the level that you want. Like I in theory, he's a drop big, but he can't protect the rim. I, I just don't know who he guards on a high level team. So he's going to have to be like kind of a crazy offensive player. I think to justify it. Um, I would not draft him probably, but I, I, I can see trying to develop him. I would just make him play in the G league, frankly, and, and say like, this guy is such a high pedigree guy. He came into the year as you know, highly skilled, and like I'm, I want to get him to the point where he's almost desperate a little bit, and, and he has to fill a role. Like these high mm-hmm. pedigree guys, a lot of the times they're, they're self creators. Like Nas has always been like the most talented player on his team, and that's not going to be the case in the NBA. I think he's kind of got to go through that process where it's like you have to fill a role, and you have to try on defense. You have to maximize your effort on both ends and be more of an energy guy. I'm always kind of dubious though, if that's how guys really translate and that's how they're going to like, they don't change their stripes. Like Montrezl Harrell was like always like this under-recruited guy who just played his ass off every second he was on the floor. You know what I mean? And like those guys are instilled that way as far as their mental approach. I don't, I'm not sure if Nas Reed will ever get there.
1: What do you think about Tariq Owens during the tournament? I fell in love with him. I didn't know he was a three-year player. I was like, wow, this guy is a freshman? He's pretty damn impressive. But he's a little older, a little long in the tooth. Would you draft him, or did you think of somebody you should target after the draft, a la Alonzo Trier type?
2: Yeah, I think after the draft, I do like him. He was a really he was a very big part of Texas Tech's defense, of course. They filter everything to the baseline, and he was the guy who rotated over and either challenged shots for blocks or took charges or whatnot. So I love him defensively. I like the mobility. I like the length. I just don't think he has the strength level. He improved his shooting, though. He can shoot like long twos. I don't think he can shoot threes from NBA distance competently. I think a lot of teams are gonna look at the age and that intersection with the fact that he's just not very Like girth, there's just not a lot of girth there as far as you know, playing the center. He's definitely a five in the modern game, in my opinion. I don't know if a lot of teams will view him that way, but he's really good. I think he's kind of underrated.
0: Word. This is a question I love. Uh, Who do you think are the best second contract players in this draft? Because I feel like there are so many guys who I don't know that they'll be able to return any value within the first three years, and that somebody's going to totally underrate their upside and and drop them off. I have a few guys like that, but who do you, who do you think are the best second contract players in this draft?
2: I think my two favorite ones are actually two bigs: and Jackson Hayes and Nick Claxton. I think both of those guys are more second contract guys to me, and I can see the upside as far as their ability to defend in space as a rim runner. And I think Claxton's upside is a little bit higher just because I trust his shooting foundation like Jackson A's has good touch but he doesn't have the mechanics to support that yet Claxton might always been like we talked about he might always be too narrow but I I like both of their projections even though I'm a little lower on rim running bigs now unless you're just a crazy defensive player like maybe what Mitch Robinson becomes I think a lot of these freshman wings are second contract guys potentially like Sekou Demboya Taylor Horton Tucker and Nasir Little I think in the right situations. I don't really trust the upside of any of them. Maybe Seku, just because he's a really fluid athlete. He's not like overly explosive, but he's a guy in time. I, I trust his shot. I think more than a lot of people do just because I think he has the touch. He has the foundational mechanics, but he's far away. Like he's so raw technically. And I think that's what I tend to look for is guys who are raw technically, that have some kind of skill, some kind of functional athleticism, some kind of IQ, and then hope that NBA teams can kind of coach technique into them, because I think that's what NBA teams do best.
1: Yeah. You mentioned Nas little. I liked him going into the season, but I didn't really see much from him outside of maybe like a couple games. Rebounding is, looks like the only skill that can see translates immediately. So if you're drafting him, would you take him where, what range would you look to take him and what situation do you think would bring out the best in him?
2: Uh, For situation, definitely the Spurs. I want him to go to the Spurs and kind of just develop in that system, develop his mechanics, uh, which I think were a lot stronger before his freshman year at North Carolina. He kind of moved his shot as far as release point to the side of his head at times. He shot a lot of like off balance, like leaning back, jump shots off the dribble I actually really liked his mechanics coming into the season I liked him as well uh, but I, I want him in a developmental system that's a multi-year system that can really hone in on his shooting ability his pull-up ability because that's how he's going to have that high upside I think he's not going to have the feel he's not a high field player he's going to have to be a guy who can really switch and then a guy who can knock down shots both off the catch and then have some self-creation ability off the dribble on pull-ups so I, I have him right now I have him in the early 20s I think that's the range I'd feel comfortable drafting him in. We've heard some talk that he might move up to a, a top ten pick. I would. I think that's way too much risk. I just, for me personally, like a draft philosophy point, like I, I can't invest that highly in a player. Even though I love the kid, he's probably my favorite kid in the class as far as his mentality, like his charisma. But I can't invest in a player that highly that just doesn't have high feel. And like for, with his case, it's like a very suspect feel level. Not a great passer. Not a great team defender. You just don't see the intelligence in his game.
1: Before we get out of here, I saw you're getting into the wire. How far along are you?
2: <laughs> just the first six episodes. Yesterday I got derailed. I started a Friday night and I ended up watching till like two in the morning. It's uh, incredible okay. stuff. But now I'm yeah, fully questioning all my <laughs> initial judgments on basically everything just because I can't believe that I didn't get into it, you know, two years ago when I tried.
1: It's funny, it's everyone everyone I put the show on to, they've always said like the first episode, it's like, ah, eh, it's not for me. And then they come back to it, and they get past. It. I think it's like episode three when you get hooked. But oh man, season two—you're—I'm just giving you a heads up. Season two, you might not <laughs> like initially, but on the rewatch, you're gonna love it.
2: That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I—I I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm a dumb shit for this, and then like I got probably 15 responses last night that's like, this is the same thing that happened to me. Like it was hard to get into, but once you get into it, I think that's the case with a lot of shows. It's just it kind of takes the right mindset, at the right time, and uh, it's incredible. The, the acting is just insane.
1: Oh, it's it's amazing. Season three's. I mean, if I don't know who you, who's your favorite character right now, would you say? Or I don't really
2: still have an open mind. I'm 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 not okay. going into the favorite character a lot yet, so we'll see. I'm going to give it like a couple more episodes.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Oh, well, I'll stay tuned for that. Thank you so much for joining us, Cole, imparting your wisdom on us. It was much appreciated. It was great to have you on. Hey,
2: anytime, guys. This is fun.
1: All right. Thanks, man. All right, guys. Make sure you follow the Nick's Wall podcast on Twitter. Follow Cole on Twitter. Most importantly, at Cole Um And the Stepien. Harley. Yes, and follow the Stepien. It's at the Stepien, right, Cole? Yes, sir. Yep. That, yep. Follow that. Follow Harley at Harley Geffner. Follow the Nick's Wall. We have a lot more player prospects coming up, as well as the mock draft coming up in two weeks, I believe. So be on the lookout for that. Until next time.
0: i not gonna